0: It was a great week. Great week at camp. <clears throat> Next year, y'all can go with us. It'll be a great week. Uh, Wisconsin, beautiful place. And uh, Camp Zion was really, really uh, good to us this, this last week. So I want to thank them for hosting us. Uh, where we are in this study... We're in chapter 4 of Acts. Chapter 4. Chapter 1, let me review real quick. Chapter 1 was basically the ascension. Jesus returned to heaven, is seated there at the right hand of God. Guess what? We're in Jesus and Jesus is in us, so we're seated at the right hand of God right now. I know you're sitting here in pinheads, but somehow, way, we're already seated there in the heavens with your dad. All right. Second chapter was the spirit indwelled the believers, those that believed that Jesus was the son of God, that he came as the Messiah, that he came and brought forgiveness for all sin, past, present and future. The spirit came and dwelled inside of the believers for the very first time. It had never happened before that. The spirit had been there, been around, been upon, but never dwelt inside. And then last week, chapter three, Peter and John went to the temple and they saw this man that had been laying there for some 40 years, 40 years, you learn in today's chapter, and because of his faith, he was lame and he was healed. He was healed immediately. He got up. Like the priest and everybody else, all the Jews had gone in and gone in and gone in every year, every day, and given to this man as an act of charity. And they all knew who this man was, that he was lame sitting there. And now he had been healed and he was able to get up and go into the court of the Jews. And he was able to worship God. It's pretty phenomenal. So now Peter and John are in the hot seat. We get to chapter 4. Chapter 4, and here's what it says in chapter 4. When they were speaking to the people, when they were speaking to the people, Peter was in the midst of preaching a message. As we ended chapter 3, he's delivering this message. And now, all of a sudden, he's interrupt, interrupted. They stop him in the middle of his message. I look at the word, too. It says, they. Last week, I kind of referred to as Peter did all of the talking, but it sounds like John was talking as well. That they both were delivering the gospel message. It says, while they were speaking to the people, the priest, the captain of the temple police, that's, that's kind of a weird little statement there, but the actual term there is Sagan, and Sagan had an extensive duty. The Sagans were the ones that actually were second in command to the high priest. The high priest was the one that everybody looked up to, had all the answers, made all the sacrifices, but the Sagan was typically the person that was his right-hand man and probably was the next one in line to become the high priest which means that he was probably a Levite. He had extensive duties. He's the one that had to make sure everything was set up right. He had made sure that everything went right in the court. If there was any problems, any issues, he was the one that dealt with them. And he even had the authority to arrest people. He had that much power. But he was the second in command. And so now it says, they came together, the priests, the captain of the temple police, and the Sadducees, confronted them, Peter and John, because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Why would they be annoyed? The key word there would be the Sadducees. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were two different groups of people. The Sadducees were those that that pretty much uh, ran the temple there. They, they represented a more of a conservative viewpoint than the Pharisees did. The Pharisees were always taking the law and stretching it and make it work for them. But the Sadducees, they they were very strict. And now uh, they rejected this oral tradition that the Pharisees considered as part of the Torah and part of the Pentateuch. They were always adding to it, but the Sadducees said, this is it. The Torah is it. The first, the Pentateuch being the first five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's it. We're not adding to it. Very legalistic. They also considered the concepts of demons and angels and the resurrection and afterlife as invalid. That life just ended. Now, that doesn't make sense to me. You believe in God, but you just believe that life comes to an end? It's kind of crazy, but they definitely didn't believe in the resurrection. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's returned, and He's walking among the people, eating with His disciples, healing people, preaching, and then He ascends into heaven. And now Peter and John are saying, this is exactly what happened. The Sadducees are totally opposed to this. They're totally opposed to it. And this is why they want it to stop. Verse three, it says, So they seized them, Peter and John, and took them into custody, in custody until the next day, since it was already evening. They were not really disturbed at the apostles' teachings. I don't believe. You think about this. The only disturbance that had really occurred during that time was Jesus himself. No one was really, there's no record in the Scripture that anybody was really opposed to all the Christians that were following Jesus. It's just they were opposed to Jesus. They knew that Jesus was creating a stirring and he was the central focus. And so he was the one that they went after. He was the one that they went after, and so all the other Christians were left alone. Now, all of a sudden, it's changed. Now they're starting to look at the Christians because we saw in Acts chapter 2, how many believed? Said 3,000 were added to their number. All of a sudden, this little cult group was beginning to grow, and they were becoming concerned. They weren't really disturbed about what the apostles were teaching, they were most likely offended that they were teaching. We're supposed to be the ones that are teachers, not you. Who are you to come in here and to like take over our job? This is our job. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the high priest we're the ones that do the te- teaching in the temple, not you. Said in verse 4, But many of those who heard the message believed. And the number of men, the number of men, that's right, in biblical times, when they counted the group, they only counted the men. The number of men came to about 5,000. So you had 3,000 in chapter 2, you've got 5,000 in chapter 4. And that's just men. That's not including women or children. Verse 5, it says, the next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem. Peter and John stayed in prison overnight. Now comes their trial the next day. It says, assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, wait, I thought Caiaphas was the high priest. We had this discussion back when we were talking about the trials of Jesus, if you remember right. Annas was the high priest of the Jews, But he was deposed by the Romans and they made Caiaphas, his son-in-law, the new high priest. So the Romans recognized Caiaphas as the high priest, but the Jews, because Annas was still alive, recognized him as the high priest. So now you've really got two high priests that are there. John and Alexander, they may have been in line to be priests, but it doesn't exactly say. There's no mention Jonathan actually was... uh, a son of Caiaphas, and Alexander is not even mentioned again. It says, and all the members of the high priest family, verse 7 it says, after they had Peter and John stand before him, they began to question them, By what power or in what name have you done this? You know that they're hoping that they would say Beelzebub. And then they could just be done with them. They're really looking for an answer here. Their question was legal. It was a legal question, but they did everything that they could to avoid talking about what had just occurred, which was what? Peter and John just healed a lame man in front of the whole public view. Everybody in the temple knew this man that sat there for 40 years and couldn't walk. And now he's up dancing in the court, praising God and everything else. It's kind of going around the temple. And they ask this question. They never refer to the healing. They said, who did this? And what name did you do this? They never talk about the actual healing of the lame man. In verse 8, it says, Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, wait. I thought that happened in chapter two. Yes, in chapter two, they were filled with the spirit, but now there's times. Look, I've been at camp with uh, teenagers all week long, and I drove, I don't know, what do we drive, nine, ten hours yesterday? Drove the van back, had to get everything unpacked, get home. I'm tired. I got up this morning preparing for this and was preparing for it during the week. I taught several times during the week. I'm tired. But right now, literally, I stood back there today and go, Lord, if this is going to be done today, if I'm just going to be nice to people today, it's going to have to be you in me that does that. I I need a filling. I know you're in me i just need to be filled up because you're going to have to do this so literally to be able to teach to be filled by the spirit the holy he was saying the holy spirit was telling peter what to say rulers of the people and elders if we're being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man By what means was he healed? Hey, look, they're not going to talk about the healing, but what does Peter do? I'm going to go straight to the healing because everybody saw that. Is this what you're talking about? You want to know who did this right here? Who got this man to get up, walk, to stand up, and start praising God? Is that what you're asking? Let's clarify because you're obviously not saying it. So I'll say it for you. There was a man that was healed right here today. Is that what you want to know? He says in verse 10, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man right here is standing here before you healthy. You want to know? It's Jesus. The same man that just 50, 60 days ago you put on the cross and crucified. That's who healed this man. Not me. Not John. Jesus. You asked, now you know. I'm telling you. And then what does he do? He goes back and he quotes this verse out of Psalm. Why does he do that? Because they, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, have the whole Old Testament memorized. So let me use a prophecy that was stated by David in the book of Psalm and remind you of what's going on here. And he says this, a verse that you're very familiar with. This Jesus, he says his name again, this Jesus is the stone rejected by you, builders, which has become the cornerstone. That's Psalm 118, verse 22. You rejected the cornerstone. You're the builders. Your response, you know this verse. You know this verse, now I am pinning it to you. He made it very clear that Jesus was the stone that they were rejecting. Now the cornerstone. I almost made Big John come up here because he's the construction guy. But a cornerstone was an important piece of the building. The cornerstone was the stone in the new building that was laid very first and everything was built around it. It was the foundational stone That everything that connected everything, especially like two walls, it would align two walls. Maybe even one of the greatest architectural designs. You know, those overhangs that they had? Watch, I'll show you this. Pop this up. Do we have it? Oh, look at that. This is me actually in Caesarea Philippi. You see that archway those Romans created right there? That middle stone at the very top, they would put all these stones together, then they would drop that last middle stone in there, and it would wedge in there, and it would keep that archway there. A cornerstone. It held everything into place. This is that verse, Psalm 1, 18 verse 22, Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the hedge piece that ke- keeps everything together. And you, you people, you rejected him and you crucified him. That metaphor about the cornerstone, that verse, it's used all throughout Scripture. Peter used it in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 4. Paul used it in Romans chapter 9 and Ephesians 2.20. And Jesus even cited that same verse in Matthew 21.42. The chief cornerstone would be rejected. Jesus was, is the chief cornerstone. Verse 12, it says this. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. You see, Peter's message here, if you look back in chapter 2 and even chapter 3 that he preached, he always ended with an appeal. Don't you want to believe that Jesus is the Savior? Don't you want to believe that Jesus is the Messiah? It's your faith that will make you whole. It's your faith that will cause you to receive forgiveness. There was no appeal made here. Basically what Peter was saying to the court, the Sanhedrin court, whatever your judgment is, that's your decision. You either choose to believe and you let us go or you condemn us. I don't have to make an appeal here because you're getting ready to make it on your own. It says in verse 13. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John. (laughs) When they observed the boldness. I mean, you're talking about, of all the Jews, this is the high court. This is the one thing that everybody respected and looked up to. They had all the authority. And they're saying, because of Peter and John's boldness, they realized that they were uneducated and untrained men. Where did Jesus get Peter and John? From a fishing boat. Why were they fishing? Because they never were educated enough to become rabbis. And so they had to go back to their father's trade, which was fishing. They were uneducated men, according to the rabbis. This doesn't mean that they weren't intellectual or they weren't smart. It just means they didn't qualify because maybe they didn't memorize the whole Old Testament. Maybe a Pharisee just didn't choose them to be a rabbi, so they had to return to their father's trade. Says, They realized they were uneducated and untrained men and they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. Literally, they had been filled with the Spirit. They may not have known what to say. They may have been tired and they may have asked the Lord, Lord, will you do this? When we went to camp this week, One of the things that we did in the morning time is they get up uh, and clean their rooms first thing. First thing they do is clean the cabins. They go to breakfast. Then they come and we do sealed discoveries. Wes Wes Kate did a phenomenal job of uh, every morning writing personal devotion to the students and the leaders and the ability to go through. And they'd spend about 30 minutes in sealed discoveries. Then they would come back and we'd go to two hangout sessions. A hangout session was basically a class. It's an hour-long class, so they would go to two different classes. One at 9.45 and one at 11 o'clock. They repeat that Monday and Tuesday, then we did it on Thursday, Friday. There were 19 classes that were offered that they could choose from during the week. I did not teach 19 classes. I taught one. That means the rest of the 18 classes were taught by these adults out here. And for three weeks... As Kyle and I had tried together who was going to be teaching classes, we heard, I'm not sure what to teach. I, I don't know if I can do this for two hours. Literally, the morning of, people would come to, say, come to me and say, hey, I taught this yesterday. Uh, I'm kind of struggling with what to teach today. You'll be fine. I believe the Spirit in you will take care of it. And without, without any doubt, When it was all over, the kids would come back and say, that was the most phenomenal class I ever had. That teacher was unbelievable. Why is that? (laughs) Because of the Holy Spirit inside of them. It's the same Spirit that lives in me. They have the ability to teach the Word of God. It doesn't matter what education you had. You can read the Bible, figure it out, and you can teach and proclaim it. And that's exactly what they did, and they did an eloquent job. And this is exactly what's happened here to Peter and John. They've trusted the Spirit in them to speak to the Sanhedrin, the highest authority of all the Jews. Verse 14, it says, And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in opposition. (laughs) What are they going to do? All right. Jesus, uh, this man standing here, jumping up and down. What are we going to say? What can we say? Peter's testimony before these men was that there is a man standing here and Jesus did it. What are they going to say? Verse 15, this is awesome. (laughs) After they ordered them to leave, they always made the person that was on trial leave so they could have their conversation about what they were going to do. After they ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, they conferred among themselves saying, what should we do with these men? For an obvious sign has been done through them, clear to everyone living in Jerusalem. Everybody's seen this happen. And we can't deny it. But so that's so that this doesn't spread any further among the people. Let's threaten them. (laughs) That's funny. Let's just threaten them. Let's scare them. Wait, they recognize Peter and John's boldness and now you're going to threaten them with what? Let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in this name again. They can't even say Jesus's name. They were totally at a loss in this instance. They had no charge to lay upon them. If they accuse these people, Peter and John, of a crime, when there wasn't a crime, they know they know that the crowd is growing. It went from 3,000, 5,000 more, it's up to 8,000. These men are becoming popular. And if we punish them, uh, they could be upset with us. So all we can do is threaten them. Verse 18. So they called for them back in. Please come back in. And ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. We don't want you to teach. We don't want you to mention Jesus. You're done. Just stop what you're doing and we'll let you go. Peter and John answered them. This is awesome. Whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Look, if you don't want us to teach, one, that ain't going to happen. If you don't want to hear it, don't listen. Go somewhere else, but it's just natural for us to talk about Jesus. It's, you, you know, here's the great thing about this. You know who used that line first? About 300 years before them was Socrates. Peter knew that they were philosophers in that group. Peter knew that they were very smart, the Sanhedrin. Peter knew that they understood the words of Socrates. And so he took the words of Socrates and said, hey, if it's good enough for Socrates, it's good enough for me. If you don't want to know about God, if you don't want to know about Jesus, just don't listen. But I'm going to continue to talk about God. There's nothing that I can do. It's what he called me to do. says in verse 21, hm. uneducated man quoting Socrates. Verse 21, after threatening them further, they released them. They found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to God over what had been done. For this sign of healing had been performed on a man over 40 years old. The council. The Sanhedrin, they didn't want this gospel message to spread. And that's exactly what's happening. There's nothing that they can do to stop this tidal wave. It went from 120 men praying, waiting for Jesus in Acts chapter 1 to 3,000 in Acts chapter 2, and now an additional 5,000 this very day. There was nothing that they could do to stop this. And even in the days to come, we get to chapter 5, it talks about more. It just kept snowballing and snowballing and snowballing. There's no way that they could stop the story of Jesus. You know, I believe that about today. I believe that the Word of God is facing opposition in this world today. That people are telling us to stop teaching specific things, stop talking about this. They are opposed to what we are teaching. Yet look what happened in Acts. The community and the truth just kept going and going and going and got stronger. And I believe that I said that to the campers this week. That I'm okay with opposition because I think it's just going to make us stronger. I think as believers that we'll continue to get stronger in our faith. That the gospel message will continue. And then we wind down. Verse 23, it says, After they were released, they went to their own people and reported everything the chief priests and the elders had said to them. <laughs> they went back to the people that were praying for them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together to God and said, Master, you are the one who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit by the mouth of our father David, your servant, This is Psalm chapter 2, verses 1-2. He says, Why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot, futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against His Messiah. They're literally quoting the psalm right there as they pray. (coughs) Verse 27, it says, For in fact, this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel assembled together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant your servants may speak your word with boldness. This is their prayer. You don't have to stop them. You don't have to stop their threats. You don't have to take them out of their leadership position. God, we're not asking You to control what's going on. We're just asking for more boldness for us. May we be able to stand up with truth. May we be able to represent You in the midst of the chaos that's being delivered to us. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant Your servants may speak Your word with all boldness while You stretch out Your hand for healing. And signs of wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they assembled was shaken. (laughs) They prayed with boldness, and all of a sudden, the place began to shake. Physically. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. Again, they didn't pray that God would remove them from their circumstances. They didn't pray that God would give them an easy path. They literally prayed for boldness. Lord, give us wisdom. Give us understanding. Give us words. Let us stand for you. Their great faith was boldness in the face of opposition. And then, verse thirty-two. Hmm. Now, the entire group, campers, this is this is you right here. This is this week right here. This should make sense to you. Now, the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and mind. How many times did you hear that this week? We're one heart, one mind. We're here with the same thing in common. The entire group of those who believed were one heart, one mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. But instead, instead, they held everything in common. This is a picture of a perfect church. When, look, I, I get that we process Scripture differently and we can sit here and have different theologies and ask questions and they're probably going to come out different but there's, there's one thing here that's common is this is that Jesus Christ is the son of God and he was crucified for the forgiveness of all of our sins past present and future he was buried he rose again the spirit came and lives inside of us And now, while we are here on earth, we have the opportunity as a fellowship, as a community, as a body of believers to be one in spirit, that being Jesus Christ. And the spirit lives in us and we can have an abundant life here on earth. I don't have to wait till I die. And get out of the chaos of this world. But I can have it right now in the midst of crisis in my life. I can have an abundant life knowing that the Spirit lives inside of me. And He's going to give me all the boldness and the wisdom I need to speak and teach and to live. That's it. Verse 33 says, With great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on them all. The Lord did it. He gave them boldness. In the midst of their mistakes, in the midst of their folly, in the midst of this, of them just being goobers, right? We, we experienced that at camp this week. We're all a little gooberish. But when the Spirit puts great grace on us, it gives us great boldness. And we become great witnesses. And the world sees it. And the world is impacted by it. It says, For there was not a needy person among them. Not a needy person among them. Because all those who owned lands of houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. Whatever you need, what anybody else needs, we'll take care of it. This was then distributed to each person as any had need. And then it's interesting that Luke, the detailed guy, the one guy that historians put on a pedestal because he was so detailed and it matches history, He throws in this last verse here, last couple of verses. It says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus by birth, the one the apostles called Barnabas. Barnabas. Which is translated son of encouragement. Sold a field he owned, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Barnabas. He was a priest, but yet he owned land. That was not permissible. How is it that he owned land if he was a priest? It's one of two things. That, That law had to mean those that were actually in Palestine, those that were from Palestine, they couldn't own land. And it says clearly, he's from Cyprus. Possibly. Or the fact that they just didn't even adhere to that rule. Because if you go back to Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 6 through 15, it's clear that Jeremiah owned land and they may not have even adhered to that law anymore. Luke mentions Barnabas for the very first time. And Barnabas now is going to be mentioned like 25 more times through the rest of the New Testament because he was the son of encouragement. He's the one that encouraged Paul, he's the one that encouraged Mark, and it's such a great story. God gave him much grace. God, may you give us grace. May you give us understanding. May you give us boldness. Will you give us wisdom? Will you give us just understanding? Thank you for what you've already blessed us with. All that. May we recognize that. May we walk in it. May we understand it truly. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.